dawned on me this morning that many of you probably don't even know what the Matrix movie is. <laughs> it was made in 1999, and that's probably the year some of you were born. <laughs> Are you familiar? Yeah? Okay, good, then we can move on. It was popular when I was uh, your age, I suppose. <laughs> um, <laughs> awesome. I planted a church with a guy in Sioux Falls, and we went up to visit a baby, the first baby that was born to our new congregation at the crossing. And Seth takes this baby in his arms, and he looks it deep in the eyes, and he looks at her, and he says, welcome to the Matrix. <laughs> it was entertaining to see his mo her mother's response anyway, but we're a lot like Neo. We are born into, sl into slavery. We suffer from this condition of sin that hangs over our world, don't we? But if you're here and you have found Jesus, the Spirit has awakened the reality of Christ in your life. You're no longer a slave to sin. You're no longer subject to the slavery of death. And just like the movie, if you haven't seen it, Neo is free from his slavery and he experiences the truth, but he still has to go on to fight. And we find ourselves, much like he did, with one foot in our current reality and one foot in our divine truth. And I think it's from this place that David writes the Psalm 27. Some of the Psalms have descriptions of where they were written, like when David was with Bathsheba or when he was acting crazy before King Abimelech. But this one doesn't have that but as I was reading, a lot of scholars think that, um, given the literary clues, that this psalm was probably written when David was fleeing Saul in the wilderness. You know, that sometime between the, day, the time when David killed Goliath and when he uh, ended up taking the throne. There's a long period of time where Saul, who was jealous, ended up basically putting a, a manhunt on David, using every available resource in his army to chase him through this wilderness, and David was hiding in caves, he was hiding in the hills of En Gedi, and he was trying to escape the hand of Saul. And it's from this place where war had actually been waged on one man, David. He had had war waged against him that he pens these words, likely. And it's really interesting. As I looked at the scripture, you can find, and the, the drama team did a great job of depicting the different voices and languages that come out of this psalm. But you can actually kind of pull it apart into two main pieces. The first one is David speaking very confidently in first person. That's one through six. And then the next six verses, seven through 12, is David. It's written in second person, and he's feebly crying out to the Lord. He goes a little bit like this, and you parallel them together. He says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. I will fear nothing. And then over here he says, oh God, hear my voice when I cry and listen to my prayer. And over here he says, there is one thing that I desire, one thing I seek, and that is to see the beauty of the Lord. Over here he says, God, it was you who told my heart to seek your face, and so I'm seeking your face don't turn your face away from me. Over here, he says, I will dwell in the house of the Lord all of the days of my life. Over here, he says, God, do not reject me or forsake me. 
Don't turn me away in your anger. Over here he says, you're going to take care of me. You're going to keep me safe in your dwelling and hide me in your tent. And over here he says, God, just you need to teach me your way and you need to lead me in the right truth and the right path because I have all these oppressors around me. God, you're going to set me high above my enemies who surround me. Lord, do not turn me over to the desire of my foes. What's going on? Has David got multiple personalities here? Is he, did he pen these words and then pen these words later when he realizes what's actually going on? Is this one written pie in the sky and this one reality? What's going on here? One of the great mysteries of our faith is this tension, this paradox of the kingdom of God which exists already but not yet. Jesus came to reveal this kingdom. He is the fullness, the revelation of the kingdom of God. He's the king. And the Pharisees came to him one time and it says in Luke 17, once being asked by them when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied this, The kingdom of God is not something that can be observed. Nor will people say, well, here it is, or there it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. One of the awesome things about David, I think, is that he swallowed the red pill. David believed in a theocracy. David believed that God, Yahweh, was the sovereign king and ruler, not only of his land or his nation, but over all the earth and the heavens. If you spend much time in the Psalms, you'll realize very quickly that in Psalm 2, in Psalm 19, in Psalm 45, in Psalm 93, 96, 103, 145, David speaks of this king of heaven and earth, Yahweh, and he sees himself as the servant of this king. He believed in the kingdom of God that ruled and reigned over all. And I can't help but imagine that when he found himself in his current circumstances, he looked very much like us maybe sometimes over at this divine reality and he had to scratch his head. He said, I know these things to be true, but this is my experience. This is where, I'm at. This is where I am right now. That's not so unlike us, is it? I mean, we, we preach and teach God's shalom, his kingdom rule and reign, where the lion will lie down with the lamb and the swords will be beaten into plowshares and we live in the reality of a war, war, world that is ravaged by war, that experiences racism and shootings and violence. Over in the kingdom of God, we are told that we are clean, we are free from sin, we are no longer under guilt and condemnation. But you know what? I still sin. And I still feel really crappy about it. And I don't really feel free all that often. And over here, we're told, hey, you have been wonderfully and perfectly made. That you are made in God's image. You are perfect and beautiful the way he wants. And over here, you don't feel very competent. And you certainly don't feel all that attractive. Maybe not good enough. Over here, we're told that I will never leave you or forsake you. I will always be with you. But you know what? Right now, I need a friend, and I'm feeling pretty lonely. 
You are told in the kingdom of God that he will fill you to the fullness of God, that you will experience life abundant. Sometimes it gets so dark, you're not sure you want life at all. I have had this psalm memorized for a really long time. In the last month, I've probably said it, meditated on it, sat in it, backed up from it, looked at it. And as I come back to it, I realize that there's one cry that David has, and it's basically this. I just need to know that things are going to be okay. And God, I'm choosing to trust you that they will be. He finishes the psalm with these words. He says, wait for the Lord. Be strong. Take heart and wait for the Lord. Because I know that where I'm sitting right now in my circumstance doesn't look like the way it's supposed to be. Sometimes when we find ourselves in the waiting, we get tempted to do things that maybe we shouldn't. Sometimes when I'm in that period of waiting, I'm looking over there and I'm seeing the way that things are supposed to be and I'm experiencing them other, I wallow. Sometimes I I navel gaze. I start to feel a strong sense of self-pity. And I complain. Now Aaron preached a great message on Friday on lament. I hope you're all there. If you didn't hear it, you should go back and listen to it. But let me just say that I think there's a big difference between complaining and lamenting. When the Israelites left Egypt, they complained, and God brought them out into the desert and killed them all, let them wander around for 40 years first. The difference between complaining and lamenting is the way that we view God when we address him. When we complain, we accuse God, and we say that there is something less than perfect about his character, and we challenge his motives toward us, that maybe they're not good. But when we lament, We approach a good God whose promises for us are true. They just haven't been actualized yet. And we're wondering what this distance, what this space is. So when we're in the wait, you can't wallow. Another thing I try to do sometimes when I'm waiting is I work. Now, I'm not talking about Dr. Hookster's work where we're working toward the Christ-centered renewal for all things I'm talking about we work the angles a little bit. We try to do it ourselves. We try to make something happen. Did you know that when David was being chased by Saul, twice we know of in the scriptures, he could have killed him. And it probably would have been justified because David had been anointed the king. He knew that he was promised the throne that was coming. And one time, Saul went into the cave to go to the bathroom, and David was in the cave. He could have taken off his head, walked out and said, there's a new king in town. Let's go. And in fact, David's men were behind him and they were saying, do it. Now is your chance. Seize your opportunity. God has obviously opened a door for you. Walk through it. But can I just say that not every door that is open and available to you is for walking through. Amen? In fact, it's remarkable to me how many doors that miraculously open before us will lead us closer to our American dream. Okay, I'm done. 
Sometimes when we wait, we work, and we try to pull it and make it happen on our own. But what David does when he works, was he's in his waiting, is he worships. The whole first part of that psalm is David declaring the truths that he knows about God and about what he knows about his kingdom over a situation that, he, that, that describes his present circumstances. Listen to this. This is the Apostle John on the island of Patmos in the book of Revelation, and he is describing the king who rules over the kingdom of God that we exist within. Listen to this picture. This is Revelation 19. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider was called Faithful and True. With justice he judges. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven are following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean, and coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Jumping to chapter 21. And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne and said, Look, God's dwelling place is now among people. He will dwell with them. They will be his God. They will be his people. And God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eye. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Then he who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And then he said this, Write this down, for these words are faithful, trustworthy, and true. Write this down. Write it down. Write it down. Why? So you can read it and read it again and read it again and be reminded of all that is true. You can read it and you can say it and you can speak it and you can sing it and you can preach it and you can proclaim it and you can declare it is true. When you are sitting in this place of this circumstance and you have said these words, you can look to the Lamb of God who sits on the throne whose blood has been shed to cover our sins and to wash us new. When you find yourself in a place of hunger, you can thank the bread of life who has satisfied our soul and who gives us all we need and stand in desire of. When you feel chaos, you can exalt the God, the King of kings and the Lord of lords who holds all things in his hand. When you feel conflict, you can honor the Prince of Peace who has give, given us the ministry of reconciliation to be partners with him in his ministry on the earth. And we can exalt the name of Jesus whose name is above every name 
at whose name every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. When we are sitting in our current situations and we lift our eyes and we remember who it is that we worship and what it is that He has promised, it changes everything. It changes everything. You can't tell me that that's not going to change our situation because it'll change us. In the book of Hebrews, the writer is trying to encourage persecuted Christians. And in chapter 12, he says this, fix your eyes on Jesus. Fix your eyes on him. He's the author and the perfecter of your faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, he scorned its shame, he sat down at the right hand of the Father. Consider him who endured this opposition so that you do not grow weary and lose heart. In 2 Corinthians, Paul's writing to the church, and he says, therefore we do not lose heart, even though outwardly we are wasting away, inwardly we are being renewed day by day. <laughs> for these light and momentary burdens that we carry are achieving for us a glory eternal that far outweighs them all. So, we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporal, but what is unseen is eternal. David closes his song. Wait for the Lord. Be strong, take heart, and wait for the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for being the revelation of salvation in our lives. Jesus, we worship you today. We lift up your name. We exalt you high above every other. And Lord, we just acknowledge that sometimes our current situations and circumstances don't look like the promised divine truth that is your kingdom in our lives. Lord, I pray for courage and strength for each student, each member of this community. Lord, as we face the days ahead, to keep our eyes fixed on you. And I pray for the gift of your Holy Spirit to open our eyes to see you in deeper revelation, that our hearts would be captured more by your beauty and your goodness. Lord, would you take us and would you make us more like you, Jesus, that when in whatever situation we are in, your kingdom will be revealed in our midst. Lord, we thank you that you are fighting battles we don't even know exist around us, that you're doing a work in us that we will maybe never see come to fruition until you're finished. But God, we decide today and we say out loud that we trust you, we trust your character, we trust your kingdom, and we trust your goodness that you have the best for us in mind. And in spite of the pain, in spite of all of that is going on around us, trying to divert our attention and take us away from you, Lord, we say, hear our cry, and we wait on you. In Jesus' name, amen.